Few things could now surprise Kira. Not the turning of the stars, not the decay of atomic nuclei, not the seemingly random quantum fluctuations that underlay reality as it appeared. But this surprised her, although, in retrospect, she supposed it wasn't entirely unexpected. Congratulations, she said, with all the heartfelt emotion she could summon. The happiness of two beings might be a small thing when compared to the immensity of the universe, but what ultimately was more important? Suffering was inescapable, but to care for another and be cared for in turn, that was the closest any person might come to heaven. Hello and welcome back to Anomalous Readings. I'm Shoal Leader Nora, and I'm joined by uh, the great and mighty Jackson. <laughs> That's me. Uh, I'm um, of my own arm, uh, and I've grown too powerful for the. Uh, but you were gonna say I've grown two arms. <laughs> <laughs> I've grown two arms. Uh, no, we're here to read. Um, Sci-fi books. That's what this podcast is about. It's anomalous readings. What's up? Um, books. Yeah. I actually have come into uh, possession of many books since our last episode. What um, what books have you come into possession of recently that aren't delivered to you personally by Brandon Sanderson? Uh, well, oh, we did finally get that. Uh, we got our tress. Um, but I picked up Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco. Oh shit, I need to read that. That's a book that's been on my list for years. Yeah. Um, we got the first Malazan book over here. I can see it from here. Um, that one has not been on my list. <laughs> we have. We now own every... Uh, what's it called? The Douglas Adams books. What are they? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. We have all of those now. Um, there's something else. I'm looking around the room. I can't find it. Oh, I have all of the Lensman books. Oh, yes. You do love that Lensman. Yeah. And his huge there's Dutchman. There's ten Malazan books? Ten? Damn. Uh, as, as far as my personal experience is concerned, there is only one Malazan book. <laughs> and it's right over Wait, there on my shelf. <laughs> okay. It's, it's just the one that you've bought. Um, and Watership Down, I picked up at some point. I might have mentioned that already, but... Yeah. Books are happening. I do not... I don't pick up books. Like, I read all my books on Kindle. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been meaning to get a different, uh, e-reader and switch to something better for years. Uh, but I've... Kindle Kindle keeps working, so I'm just kept using it. Mm -hmm. But it does mean I don't get to, like... I mean, even when I'm paying for the books... Which I am often doing. I'm usually paying for the books. Uh, I, it's not, you know, 
<laughs> it doesn't feel the same as all I've brought a book home, right? It doesn't have the yeah uh, the glamour to it, I guess. Um, which is a shame. Uh, but uh, the reason I switched uh, was because many, many years ago, uh, not true uh, anymore in the current in my current house, um, but my bedroom we didn't have a lamp light next to my bed so being able to like you know go to bed and then have a backlit book was uh i could actually fucking read in bed yeah, <laughs> uh, it changed sense. my life um and i never went back but i do miss it i do miss having a having a book ass book sometimes yeah i i missed having this particular book we're talking about this month uh physically i had plenty of opportunities to pick it up i just didn't um, yeah, because it's huge. Because I, there are many names I only know from um, the audiobook, and I would love to know like how they're spelled. Oh shit! <laughs> like which names? Uh, like Namaral. Um, Namaral. I did see Katane written out, but um, yes. Uh, yeah, we we this month. We read To Sleep in a Sea of Stars by Christopher Paolini from September 2020 is when it came out. And it's a big one. Yep. It's 880 pages. You were like, hey, can you read an 880 page book? And I was like, oh, fine. I'll do that in a month. And <laughs> here we are. Yeah. Um, we did not read 880 pages of it. We read probably about 800 of it. Um, it ble- it's 823 pages, I think, before the back matter. Okay, yeah. I read that stuff the, my first time through. I did not uh, go dip back into it this time. There's like an appendix for explaining the FTL technology through an in-universe academic paper. There's a glossary that doesn't g- define the words you want it to because he loves his little secrets. Um, and there's something else after that that I don't remember. Um, but he yeah, um, just a bunch of appendices and data, law, world building stuff. Yeah, um, this book, the history of pipe weed, what have you? Oh yeah, I, I, I would be interested to learn about the inter- the history of pipe weed. Yes, um, this book has a um prequel coming out in a month, and is the start in two weeks. Of, uh, it's the start of the Fractalverse, which um, Paolini has described as, like, I can write almost anything within this setting. And he I don't know that I know what he means by that, but he says that, like, if I wanted to write a modern-day, like, romance novel, it would be in the Fractalverse. And I don't know what that means <laughs> well it would just be on a, on earth because yes. at some point they find a thing it, it's fucking Ma- he's made mass effect it's mass effect but there's not as many aliens uh they yes. find a thing and it advances technology forward and then they like go about the galaxy but i guess you could do a prequel to that before they do that <laughs> that would just be on earth <laughs> um, i don't know I, you what know, you gain from that but that would be the case it's, the, it's like how saints row is set in the red faction universe because the corporation is the same it goes on to be the red faction corporation that's all i can think of i'm like i i, I don't see it. i don't know what like unique um metaphysical concepts would link that through time but yes you you could quite easily put anything in this uh because until they find the arc the like whirlpool they call it uh, uh until they find that uh it's just 
Earth. It's just Earth. And then it goes into the future and then they find aliens. Yeah. The, they call it the Great Beacon. The Jellies call it the Whirlpool. One of we call them Whirlpools. Which brings yes. us to uh, what the hell happened in this 800 page book? Yeah. So, To Sleep in a Sea of Stars is a story about uh, Kira Navarra's. Um, who is a xenobiologist uh, who, in a frankly ridiculous intro that I honestly love, uh, is is talking about how much she is one week from retirement with her boyfriend turned fiancé, uh, uh, Alan, and can't wait to settle down. Just simply, oh, it's going to be so good. It wasn't in the uh, cards until right now, but now that it's like an option. But now, ooh, now that it's okay. an option, oh, oh, now that my life's finally picking up, <laughs> I sure hope a novel doesn't happen to me. <laughs> um, and, uh, but she's just got to do one last little job on, on the planet before it all, all, all gets like, uh, you know, ready to settle on right they're, they're a they work for a corporation that does the like preliminary terraforming and founding of human colonies um and they're ba- their job's basically done everyone's ready to come in they've they've checked out the planet it's okay uh and she plans to stay behind and live there with uh, alan but she's got one last little cave to check out she's gonna go check out this one cave there's a thing up there you know it wasn't meant to but i think i'm gonna check out the cave well, i'll be back before before long uh, a drone and, crash uh, immediate- and you know we gotta just just check it just real we've gotta quick. just check it out it's fine it's nothing it's just fine uh and uh goes in finds uh venom uh from spider-man and bonds with it uh that is to say there is like a alien symbiote suit uh that bonds with you and like responds to your desires uh and also doesn't realize that like in doing finding this like weird alien suit uh has set off an interstellar war that's about to kick off um because okay now i'm i'm gonna like explain outside of the chronology of the novel because this uh-huh. mystery unravels acro- sure. across the course of the 800 pages but uh the the suit the xeno what she calls it is the soft blade uh was like it's an alien but also kind of a machine it's like a sentient nanomachine uh cool it was created by the vanished who are you know the, the protheans it's mass effect the protheans um and it is uh it's like the seed it can create life uh and but some of the life it creates can be the nightmares uh for the come from the moors which are like when its technology is infused with pure hatred uh <laughs> and basically they just want to wipe everyone out uh because of this other aliens called uh the jellies uh at least well, the humans called them the jellies but they are also uh, known as the the ra- uh the ranai um is how i read it but you said that was the, the ranal uh the ranawi the ranawi i wasn't pronouncing the uh au bit i was just pronouncing the ra- ranai but yes the, yeah. the ranawi um the uh yeah so the xeno through some uh circ- what was the word i'm looking for through a series of unfortunate events, I suppose we could call them, um, Kira ends up uh, with one misplaced bullet creating the maw and the nightmares out of a yes. uh, a piece of the soft blade that gets um, separated from her 
which uh, fuses with the minds of a human and a jelly uh, and sort of like creates this weird amalgamation just overwhelmed by uh, panic and and hunger and hatred and that just sort of like evolves on itself and just feeds and feeds and feeds and grows and grows and grows until it creates um, Zerglings basically Uh, yes Uh, and uh, this incident starts a world where like because she basically activated the super alien super weapon the jellies uh want to like just take our humanity because they've found the super weapon and activated it. they've activated the flood um right that's a and, better uh, that's maybe a better pull than the zerg yes the flood uh and uh the humans all kind of suck because they're all like aliens stuff you know how every video game is aliens well this is a book that's pulling from those video games and also just directly pulling from aliens yeah. uh so it's they're like the shitty milit the corporate military types um and the humanity and they're like gonna fight the the jellies and neither side understands that it's kind of a misunderstanding and they need to unite against their common enemy which is the nightmares that she accidentally made uh and they spend 800 pages sorting sorting this the fuck out yep uh and eventually, I don't know how much we want to specifically summarize because a lot of like bits. Uh, but she goes, she ends up on a ship called the Wallfish, uh, and she finds the cast of a cancelled television program uh, that would have aired post Firefly, but have a strong fan base, <laughs> uh, and that I probably would have watched in high school, as there's like the Captain Falcone. Uh, who's who's he's he's like a the gruff captain type and he doesn't want to be held down uh by governments and the man but he's uh-huh. got his ship and that's all that matters to him and then there's like the the ex-marine who's like tough but got a heart of gold uh and then there's the like older first officer who's re- like l- learning what it means to get her life back together um and and uh there's a uh, Grigorovich who is the ship mind, which is the coolest bit of world building in this uh in this novel, uh, which is like he's like Edie, right? The ship AI that's always there and being shitty to everyone. Mm. Uh, but unlike Edie, uh, which is a boring AI that eventually becomes a fleshbot, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the, the ship minds are people. They are just people, uh, and like this this world already has like neuro enhancing technology, and you can like transfer your body into constructs like ghost in the shell and and that technology already exists and one of the applications is to like expand the brain so much that you like meld it onto a ship so if you've like been in an accident or even if you just want to volunteer you just become the brain of a ship and you it's irreversible you are stuck in a ship forever uh but you do have the world's biggest brain <laughs> and uh Grigorovich is one of those he's gone a little crazy because he was alone too long um and so he's uh turned into hk47 a little bit uh, <laughs> just a little bit meat bags just a little bit he does um, say meat bags a lot he says meat bags a lot uh and uh, he's he's actually a really good part of the, the this uh this book uh, i thought all oh, he's doing so much hk47 stuff that's so corny but um over the, over the time of the book i, I came around on him yeah. uh, in a big way he's definitely uh, my favorite character i think yeah and so the they they basically have to continue. They keep getting into a routine of going to the UMC, which is the like human military, <laughs> saying, "Hey, can you like do something?" They say no. They immediately betray the UMC and go do the side quest themselves. Uh, initially, it's to find like the what is it the the stick? What's the, the stick called? The staff of, of blue. Of blue. <laughs> 
Um, Which is an ancient, vanished, <laughs> slash old ones. Ancient ones? I forget what their yeah. name from themselves are. The, the, the um, vanished, but yeah. But the vanished are the... This is this other uh, civilization that's even more advanced than the Renawi, and they're like these big bipedal guys with four arms, and um, they had this staff of blue that they used to control the soft blade and to like destroy the last time that nightmares or something similar um cropped up and they go to planet bug hunt as the marines call it um and that's like the the middle act of the book is like their trip to bug hunt where they go through a bunch of alien ruins to try and find the staff of blue they find it but it's broken and uh, there's a big battle with lots of jellies. The most annoying character is taken out. Oh, I cheated. <laughs> oh, fuck Trig. He's so fucking annoying. And he's like, oh, no, I guess his role is to be the tragic injured guy for the rest of the book. And thank God, because he's so annoying. <laughs> he's the he's the young guy. Yeah. He's like the wisecracking bad joke guy. But they everyone knows his jokes are bad, but they're kind of charming. I, I fucking hate Trig so much. <laughs> Uh, but as a comic relief character, he is shuffled off stage for the second half of the book. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, and introduced are the Knot of Minds, which is uh, the Renawi's like um, just one of the factions within. And we like learn more about the Renawi and there's like a, one of the Renawi comes on the ship and uh, starts explaining like, OK, the Renawi aren't like a unified front. Not all of us want to kill you. Uh, some of you, some of us like just want to like figure out the situation. Uh and uh, the good news is that uh, our leader uh, is um, the great and powerful Satane. Uh, and if you kill him, you should fix everything. Also, <laughs> That's how he, it solves all political problems, but it will. Also, Katane uh, genetically Can't engineered respawn. all of us to not be able to resist or uh, strike out against him. Uh, also, he's like centuries, if, if not older. Um, he's huge. Yes. Uh, he, so Katane's really funny because he's like, um, the, the plot points around him are he's, uh, he's really, he's like big. He's, he's, he's physically very large and imposing. Um, and this means he can't respawn because all of the, uh, right. I forgot uh, all about of the, the nest of transference. Uh, yeah. The nest of transference means that they, they can all like respawn, um, the, uh, uh, the Renawi and, he can't. So if you kill him, it, he just—he is the most a book has ever, at least the live run has ever ended with just a video game ass final boss. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a big guy that can't respawn. That if you kill, will fix all the problems. Um, well, except at, except for one problem, which is after they kill Katane, they look up and they're like, "Oh right, the other problem is here." <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then the more shows up. Uh, so yes, they 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 ally with the uh, the the. Um, uh, they're not of the minds. Uh, they learn a bit about the uh, Renawi. Uh, they have to briefly betray the UMC again because the UMC never listened to anyone any at ever at ever. <laughs> and uh, they go and kill Katane. That is all dealt with. Everyone success. Uh, and the final actual problem is that the Moor has shown up, and uh, Kira realizes what she has to actually do uh, is instead of defeating it, she has to fully merge with it. Uh, and like forgive the hatred in herself that created it to gain control of it uh and become 
and in so doing become a god basically uh-huh uh and then and she, she creates does. the citadel from mass effect yes then she creates the citadel from mass effect um, out of nowhere and then and then uh, this is amazing the, the biggest swag move in this entire book is that you have to understand this book has been the most video game ass like sci-fi like hard sci-fi but in a very like what a nerd thing it's not like about it's not about hard sci-fi stuff it just has the aesthetics of this isn't a fantasy book mm-hmm. uh this is uh uh, marines and uh, aliens and, and language and hard FDL and stuff like that. Um, so so that's all like locked in. And then the final scene of the book, after she like becomes a new consciousness, she just starts giving everyone gifts like she's Galadriel. <laughs> fucking out of nowhere. I was losing my mind. And she's like, and you shall have the staff that will bear the fruit that shall never end. And this I'm is like, the staff of green. And I was like, I was, this was delightful to me. It was such a hard pivot. Uh, I was grinning from it because it comes out of fucking nowhere. I think that the the possibility space after this book in this world is very interesting. I would really love for a, another book set like 500 years later on this space station that's alive... Um, where people are like, I want to see people who are like turning the events of this book into like a religion, basically. Yeah. Um, just like seeing the repercussions of this story would be very interesting. Uh, I don't know if that's a thing that's going to be written. I'm sure that he'll, he's got like two other books coming out this, this year. So it seems like he's back. He's back. He's been off. He's been away for like eight years. Then he came back with this and seemingly hasn't left. Yeah. Um, so, okay, that's the summary. Uh, kind of awkward because the book's really long and, and uh, we're bad at summarizing. It's kind of a whole trilogy <laughs> in one book. So it, it's a big one. Uh, yes. Uh, but before we go deep into like what we thought of the book, let's establish some history here. You, you, you <laughs> are the Paolini... Uh, Paulini fan among us. Yes. Uh, I read Aragon when I was very young. Um, it was, it, it was an v- extremely formative like fantasy series. It was not my first fantasy mm-hmm. series. That was Dragonlance. Um, I read The War of Souls, which if you know the context of Dragonlance, that's like uh, starting a big fantasy series with like the event... Uh, trilogy that like wraps everything up rather than like where it started um but i read aragon several times when i was younger uh and i was a big fan of those books um i a lot of my um engagement with paulini over the years has been like oh no i i do like these books and then like going online and finding people just like yelling about it forever about how terrible they are um which is kind of also happening to to sleep in a sea of stars though not by any means to the degree that aragon got because um aragon came out before twilight and so the 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 bubbling energy that would come to be the twilight hate dumb was like already starting up at that point um, yeah, but, it didn't have like the gender dynamics, but it was definitely like the book that you took the piss out of for like, oh, you're reading the dumb fantasy written by a child. Yes. 
That's the um, reason that I was so invested is because I was also a weird homeschool kid. Yeah. Um, and this book seems like uh, has been more favorably received than those. And um, I mean, like you mentioned this this morning, um, I've watched a bunch of like book reviews on like YouTube. And while that's <laughs> not how I like to engage with books... Uh, I just wanted to like take the temperature. Uh, seems- I also did this. I went, I loaded up a bunch of reviews, and and I came out of this book like fairly middling. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like l- love it. Um, I was frustrated by a lot of it because it's um aesthetically not my thing in many ways. Like I don't, I already don't like Mass Effect, right? I don't like uh-huh. Mass Effect. I don't like a lot of the pulls. But I came away from the reviews like defensive of Christopher. I <laughs> this know. Professional- this is this is his trick. <laughs> They were just getting mad about. Th- they weren't like engaging with it as a text, right? I'm like, it's a book. It's got ideas in it. It's like it's just a story. Talk. About- and they were just like, oh, I don't know why it's 800 pages. It's too long in the pacing. And then they were like talking about. They were talking about its decisions, but only through like the shopping list of tropes and whether they uh-huh. are executed well. Um, which is a way of uh, engaging with fiction that I I'm told is very common on on like SFF BookTube. Yes. Daniel Green adjacent spaces. <laughs> um, uh, he will never give a book anything lower than a seven because uh, he wants to sell his books and keep be key on good terms with everyone. Uh, but the other YouTubers did not have this this compunction. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the the ways in which the book was being discussed was so um, it just it just felt so surface level and and empty and I was and it, it frustrated me because I'm like I have problems with this book but they're often like actual problems like at, like things there are things in the story that are arguments because stories are arguments that I disagree with right like yes. it says things that I find interesting and and no one's talking about the, no one's talking about like okay this is a story about a, a like classic sci-fi war based on a disagreement um, but the causes of every disagreement are like pure psychological uh, it has no concept of like materialism other than to say politics are bad right the umc are bad because politics and corruption but what is their structure what's their relationship to the like corporations it it deploys it deploys like the aesthetics of the corporate uh system because you know it's influenced by aliens it's doing these things i don't think it like binds those together in a way um that really get like it it just says some it just kind of gestures more towards like universal human characteristics that make things happen rather than you know, material systems, which is how I think about the world as a like, boring communist. In at the end um, of the book, when um, when God Kira is talking to representatives of the Renawi and the UMC, she's like, "The humans and jellies will always be enemies unless they have a common ground." And it's like, why? Why would <laughs> why why, yes. why is the inherent state of like sentient life? Uh, to kill other people for no reason. Why? Do, why is this and, the argument you've put forward in this book? Uh, and there's other plots of like, she kills jellies a lot. Uh, she kills jellies like before she realizes they can respawn, but after she realizes this is a misunderstanding, yeah. she is fine fucking up some jellies, uh, which is not a, c- a critique uh, or a problem so much as it is interesting that when faced with the UMC, who are also being equally belligerent, equally murderous, equally causing like violence on false pretenses, uh, is 
extremely like, I will not kill them. I will not kill people. Uh, thus, there is like a difference in how she sees like personhood between like these two two races because you know she's a human. Um, but the book doesn't really like dig into that. But that friction's there, uh, and I find it really interesting. Um, and this is this never comes up in the fucking reviews. They just talk about like, oh, it has some. Uh, it's, it's got to, the pacing doesn't it seems fast but then it gets slow and I'm like talk about the fucking book it's a book he's written it engage with the he's written 880 pages you're not even thinking about it I feel insulted on Chris's behalf the the little glimpses you get of the world at large outside of the wallfish are sometimes fascinating and sometimes like dreadful because <laughs> um, like yeah what is the currency in this world it's bits which is a kind of generic cryptocurrency. Um, where does that come from? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Uh, what is what are the what is the political landscape of this world? Well, hard to really say. But after finding an alien artifact, there was some kind of unification of human cultures, at least on paper, uh, and also there are some references to some unions that were like destroyed by military force uh that's as far as we get with any of that yeah um it's like there is a uh increasing consolidation of both corporate and military power in that you have the fucking marines from halo uh and the corporations from alien and they're all uh they're both there i know the marines from halo are also the marines from alien but yes <laughs> uh, aliens doesn't have the marine core in the way that halo halo has like the Marines as a political organization yes, uh, and aliens yes. has the Marines as part of this like uh, corporate expansion program in space. Uh, and this book has both of those elements of, of, of that lineage. Um, and so whenever they interact with humans, humans are just the fucking worst people ever. They're just so awful. <laughs> and, uh, and yet the, the book, like whenever they go to a UMC base, it's always like, the guy in charge is noble, but he's like, ah, it's my orders, the the politics, you understand. <laughs> i got to do this insanely evil thing and, and betray you all. Um, but also it, like, uh, places... This, it had this, like, libertarian bent oh, yes. in the um, in the wolfish stuff of, like, you got to be free. you got to be a free man that isn't, like, tied down to any, any government that can tell you what to goddamn do. The thing that makes you the most free is if you just own a lot of like, if you just have, like, a stockpile of gas for your truck, so you don't have to buy gas again, that's what will really, truly make you free. Now, gas uh, in this context yes. is dark matter for the spaceship, and it's super, super expensive, but that's the <laughs> the framework. Um, rereading, <clears throat> rereading the Inheritance Cycle, the Aragon books, um, a year or two ago, I was struck by how clearly you can see... That Christopher Paolini is the child of two small business owners, and I think that it carries through to this book. <laughs> oh, extremely. This, I mean, yes, the wolfish is just a small business owner. Uh, you know, it, it's the the Firefly vision of the the and that this is not just Firefly; it's my immediate pull for this kind of thing. But um, uh, you know, independent ship, right? That's like doing hauling and doing uh whatever it can do to, to scrape by but it also is still a ship that is run 
like a naval ship, right? Like there's a captain and there's a first officer and they're like, you have, mm-hmm. it's, it's not your boss, right? He's not your boss giving you a shift. Uh, he is your captain giving you an order because it's still a ship and it still runs by those rules because it's, um, that's just how even independent <clears throat> ships work. Uh, and so it like basically portrays the wolfish as like its own independent military, mm-hmm. um, one of the most interesting bits in the book is when uh, Grigorovich suddenly betro- like stops following orders, and this was the bit I was most I was like my ears pricked when I wasn't I wasn't listening. I was reading the book, uh-huh. but I, I was just on edge like oh shit, it's getting real now. Um, I was a little disappointed by how it got solved and like oh he just got m- malfunctioned by the UMC because uh, at this point I was like he's right, he is the ship. It is fucked up. The uh, Falcone gets to like override him and be the captain mm-hmm. and have this like live inside his body and override like this is what it means to make a a person into a a machine um and uh the the parts where it really sat with like uh his disagreement were really interesting to me um and i i wish that they'd like interrogate a little more how willing they were to just all right shut him off he's no longer useful right they just turned him off yeah (laughs) until he until he they turned him off until he agreed with them again um i think it's super fucking evil and turning him off is what broke him because right. there was a weird power surge and some some of his like wires got fucked up and th- it was a whole thing um <clears throat> but it does lead to him getting to sort of reappear in the book with the with the line unhand that pig <laughs> yes which is fine. I, I, I enjoyed him coming back I like Grigorovich but I would have definitely enjoyed him yeah I was sad that his um like defection had a like an out in the construction yeah. of the plot i wish it was much more like no he just has to he just come to the logical decision to not follow this order on his own terms um and there's still a bit of that there's like a line where like he 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 still just chose to do this regardless of what the umc did um yes. but it was definitely like that was the stuff i found the most interesting yeah um there's uh there's a lot of interesting stuff about ship mines. There's like one guy out there in a huge robot body with his ship mine brain. Um, yes. And Grigorovich is like, I'd, I think I'd like to have that someday. But of course, at the end of this book, he's like, no, I think I'll stick in. I'll stick with my crew for now. Um, the the Wallfish crew is all f- cool guys. I like them all. Um, Trig is a little obnoxious, but I think I didn't mind it as much as you did. I was a little... I just found the crew mostly pretty generic. Um, I enjoyed them just like... Grigorovich was the one I really liked. Um, but like Falcone, I was just like, yeah, no, cool guy captain. Yeah, whatever. Oh, the Marina, she's going to teach her. Like, this is the discipline. It suddenly becomes like troop respecting for like a chapter. Yes. I forgot about the part where they literally like quote real world u.s army like recruiting slogans at each other the only way to control venom is uh become like embrace the mental fortitude of becoming a u.s marine it's basically what the book comes into for like 20 pages and that was really funny it was i was i was having such a time with that my first time through (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it really does kind of come out of nowhere <clears throat> but um 
I guess we haven't really talked about the jellies very much. We haven't talked about the jellies very much. They're kind of cool. They're like... uh, They communicate with scent because they're like an aquatic species. They like lived underwater. And so they're like... Their whole shit is different from humans. Which is fun. Um, They have bodies that they print um and they have their pattern which i guess is their consciousness that gets put onto their body and so they don't think about bodies or like personhood in the way that humans do which is interesting but doesn't come up very much uh, this was the part where I was like being won back over with this, this trip back where you have two extended conversations like extended conversations with Gorovich uh, mm-hmm. and there's extended conversations with the, the Jaliots on the ship um, and uh, I thought this was all really interesting especially in like the things that the book both the things that the book does and doesn't examine like um, I forget what's the name of the uh, the Jaliot they have on the ship it begins with an I, I Itari what Itari yes um, and like uh, Itari basically just lays out the jelly culture. And it's really interesting. Um, and uh, Kira, Kira is like not horrified, but there is a there is an, an unquestioned assumption in these chapters that like the individual is important, and mm-hmm. the death of a jelly, even if there is a backup and a pattern somewhere that can be reprinted and you can respawn, like the memories lost between the backup. And the the death is still like that rep. It's the transporter thing on some level, right? Uh-huh. It's like this this represents an individual, uh, and that individual is dead. The continuity of that individual and the soul is is gone. And she doesn't like say soul in this instance, but it, that is like the inherent belief. It is a human centric belief uh, of, of individualism uh, above the collective, um, and more than that, like th- there is something. Uh, integral to the continuity of being uh, of a of a individual that is like puts it that the, makes this like respawning method uh, uncomfortable to, towards Kira, um, and I, I don't think the book digs into like I think the book positions that in a very ninety um, Star Trek way as like just true. There is just a liberalism and individualism is this the truth that we all work work towards on some level. This is like when they so the, how much TNG have you watched? Oh, some. I, I watched a handful of uh, reruns when I was very young. I haven't sat down Have and actually s- watched watched it. Have you seen any of the like post-Best of Both Worlds Borg episodes? Uh, no. Just the movie. Uh, well, that's, that extremely doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> First so Contact, oh. I, I loved as a kid because I liked the Borg. I also loved it as a kid, but then I watched it after I watched TNG. I was like, man, this is, ooh, they've really fucked a bump cards <laughs> entire character. Um, uh, and so the, the, the Borg are really interesting that they, they are this, this collective and they're like super evil because, well, they're evil in a very um, natural way. You can't argue against them. They simply want to consume things, mm-hmm. um, which is a fine way to tell a, a story, uh, but it makes them kind of uninteresting as characters on a TV show. And um, Star Trek's like uh, assumption that it makes when it like tries to engage with the Borg in a way that isn't just this violent uh, conflict is generally speaking to individualize them, to encourage them to like be individuals, to encourage them to uh, like 
you know, uh, take accept and take on the values of 90s liberalism uh, as liberation from the hive mind horde. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, the problem with the Borg is that there are other people that want to not be consumed by them. Not it is not inherently bad to be in a hive mind culture because it's an it's a sci-fi. Thing. It's like that is just a version of life that can be imagined. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the conversations here like take take it as a base assumption that that kind of like collective alien is inherently scary and something to be like fixed with individualism. Um, and it reminded me of, of, uh, of that like vision of Star Trek uh, as like a leading one of these, which you know, I adore, I adore TNG, one of the best shows ever, but it definitely has this bent. And I think this, this book uh, continues with that kind those kind of like assumptions of what it means to explore, uh, like what it means to ex- explore aliens in a, sci-fi book and often that it is a way for humans to spout um, <laughs> you know democratic party lines about individuals about them that conversation also has the revelation that um the jellies were always planning to start a war with humanity um yes because they were like oh those guys over there they're kind of scary uh, and then when they found out that humans learned FTL on their own and not because they found precursor artifacts on their homeworld, they would get real scared. Um, which is just feels like a very... Um, I feel like I haven't actually... Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to say this. But like that idea of like... Actually, if you think about it, humans are super scary is like a post I've seen on the internet from like a decade ago about how cool humans are and how smart we are. Um, uh, this is also like 100% directly a Star Trek thing, like a 90s Star Trek thing. Uh, not the murder part, but the part of like other aliens, because aliens in sci-fi generally represent like an aspect of human culture that you're trying to examine in metaphor. Um, so humans representing all of them and in Star Trek are generally defined by like this fucking annoying belligerence of just pushing through every boundary that had existed uh they're like this is this is a thing i deeply recognize from 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 star trek and things that influenced mm-hmm. by that of like humans as this like disruptive force on an already existing like uh galactic stage and they do this in mass effect as well like mass effect pulls that as well right the upstarts um, the, the upstarts uh, in in um in in mass effect is much more about the upstartness oh, whereas yeah. um in in star trek it's much more about like it is being upstarts and enterprise they're upstarts uh but it's also just like they're just annoying they're just fucking annoying and they don't take no for an answer uh and they don't like fit into a box and they keep messing things up and they like they cause problems by uh their existence um and like there's no there's no <laughs> race and therefore we must murder them for that no one's like oh i'm the girl in the gun anti-spiral about it um the but the thing That's about, kind of the base premise. But, like, this revelation for Kira that, like, oh, they were planning on fighting us anyway is, like, oh, that's, mm-hmm. like, the, so both, they say in the book, like, both of these powers are expansionist, but for yes. some reason it's much scarier when it's the jellies doing the expanding. <laughs> Right, there's nothing scary about the fucking Marines from Halo and the corporations from Alien doing it for some right, reason, even though right. they're also like dystopias in their own media. Uh, it's it's very strange. Uh, I think the vision of the world building's a little weird. So let's go. Let's just skip to the ending. In the 
I, I, I like what happens in the ending. I think the framing is a little strange. Mm-hmm. I think that, like... Because essentially her solution is that these cultures are warlike and can only be stopped from war by the intervention of God, which this part I really like. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm back in. But she doesn't say that. She's like, oh, we must come to understand each other. Uh, and I do, I'm like, at no point does Kira express awareness that she has like turned herself into a being so powerful that she can't be like opposed, right? Like the mm. event, the only liberation from structures is to become an individual so strong you are God. <laughs> a station mind. A station mind, um, which I, I think is sick, but I think I just don't think it's aware enough of exactly like the the power dynamics of what's happening, because mm-hmm. um, it's much more like framed as like we will be like a neutral ground, and then there will be no weapons here. Uh, but there's only no weapons. She then does a genocide in the next line. She fucking kills all the nightmares. She like unmakes them. Yes, uh, and I'm like, but the night the nightmares. They've said things. The nightmares have said lines. They have a like. They are created by this machine of hatred um but they're creatures they're they're alive they're not like pure robots of they're not like pure malice given form they have values they're like you must feed we must feed on you become one with us right like i guess the thing you we're supposed to understand i think is that most of them are drones but there are the the maw itself was the like person she did a genocide i'm sorry no she unmade an entire race and is now heading across the galaxy to unmake it seven times more um because it's poison and like i kind of think it's cool but i I wish there was more of an under i think Uh i think the book would be cool if it understood how much of a sicko's ending this was (laughs) because i i generally i generally like it but it, it just the tone is off uh except for the part where it leads to the gladrial scene that's that's just that's just super cool that's so good uh, it is really cool. Some of them are really silly, where it's like, Hello, Doctor, I've gotten you this magical healing machine. Hello, Engineer, I've got you this magical ship healing machine. It's just like, okay, these people are definitely just defined as their jobs. Um, I like the first officer who was like, uh, I won't fix you, because uh, I, I can't. I'm like, you're God! You've become God! But now there's this, like, oh, if you fix me, it would, like, change my brain too much because of my condition. And I'm like, man, it sucks to be you! God can't fix you! Get fucked! <laughs> this is um, an interesting little piece of evolution from the inheritance cycle, because <laughs> the ways that Paolini writes about disability have not always been... The most empathetic, um, the ways that these things are addressed in his other older fantasy books typically involve either like the character is like sort of magically fixed of whatever the the disability is. um, And that is like, okay, now it's all good. We've returned to normal. Or it's like. I think there's one character who, like, stubbornly refuses to be fixed, quote-unquote, because it's, like, a point of pride. Um, oh, and I guess constantly saying that in this book. Everyone is 100% of the time completely unprompted saying, I keep my scars because I need to remember things. Yes, <laughs> like, that, that is like... Falcone's, like, backstory. He's got scarred arms. Um, and so I guess he's learning to write about this differently a little bit but it's still um 
I thought something I really noticed this time through reading the book is like that that lineage of like the way that he writes about this type of thing is still very present. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know that I have that much more to say about um, our, our um, jelly adventure. The one thing we haven't talked about at all is the soft blade, the the like sicko venom suit she's attached to the entire time, <laughs> um, which is one of the, the most interesting points to me in that in literally any other version of this book written by any other human being on Earth, uh, including apparently the Venom movies, this would be like a kind of like horny psychosexual situation going on uh-huh. with like the alien that's all over your body and changing you and making you more uh like violent and capable and in touch with um like the physicality uh it is like alarmingly sexless here and i mean this as a compliment because i think like the sex stuff is kind of cringe when it gets in later but it's the most it's like the most normie nice boy version of this imaginable we're simply not going there we will simply not be going there today <laughs> um, which I, I i find charming in its own way yes um, this is also like, a thing that has lineage in the inheritance cycle because it's like she's bonded with this other being who like knows her inner soul and can like fix her body uh and also enact on her like basis desires, um, and it just doesn't. And the, the entire, the only like sexual thing that happens with her in a soft bed is when she's like, "Please expose my pussy so I can have my sex scene." Now. <laughs> um, also, that what you just said perfectly also describes the protagonist of Aragon, who is uh, sort of bonded by soul to this other entity. Um, mm-hmm. But it is there is mu- there is less sex in the Inheritance Cycle than than this um i would imagine being a 15 year old you would not be trying to i mean i guess it depends on what kind of 15 year old um but not the the fancy writing 15 year old that paulini was like at some point there's two people who both have this connection to their dragons and their dragons are fucking like half a mile up in the sky and they're just kind of like standing there awkwardly kind of kicking the rock next to them like so what's uh what's going on with you but that's like the only thing that that comes of that. Um, I think this is a this is a Paulinism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like I said, I don't really necessarily mean it as a criticism. I think the version mm. where it's like a dude being horny about it is probably weed reads way worse. Yeah, uh, and is like very cringy. Um, I, I can like that stuff, uh, but I think it requires a more delicate touch. If you're going, you uh-huh. you both have to be more delicate, but also more sickos. Yes. Um, and so it's just a tougher needle to thread. Uh, I don't think this this story would have survived the version that's horny <laughs> about the, the death suit. Um, but it was it was uh, it was interesting to note. Uh, and also, like, there's so much this there's, <laughs> there's so much fucking violence in this book. It, you wouldn't realize it because I feel like a lot of like the the talk about war is very kid gloves and it's very like oh it's a misunderstanding and we must come together uh oh my arms got chopped off oh but it's a you know we must all understand (laughs) oh fuck i've been stabbed a million times um my insides are outside of me (laughs) yeah it just occasionally becomes like super violent but only in a superficial way it's never it's not like fucked up right there's apart from a few people getting like injured uh there's not like super awful things happening on screen other than i guess there's some off-screen like this planet's been attacked and bombed and civilians have been killed um but it's not it's not like 
you're not seeing war crimes on screen happening mm-hmm. to people, right? Uh, it's not. Ed- I would describe it as surprisingly unedgy for how uh, violent it is. I guess. Um, oh, I forgot to talk about the sister. I didn't talk about his sister. Um, so, in the inheritance cycle, there is a character named after Paolini's sister, Angela, who helped work on all of his books. Um, she's this um, wise woman called, an, she's Angela the Herbalist, and she has this magic cat named Solombum, who's like a, a, a werecat. Um, <clears throat> and it is postulated in the deluxe version of the fourth book in the uh, Inheritance Cycle. There's a letter from one character to another that says, I don't know what Angela's deal is, I think she might be one of the Grey Folk, or maybe the Inare. Now, this book has a character named Inare uh, early on, who is this sort of wise woman who has a weird cat. And um, Paolini has said that that is exactly who you think that is. Uh, so his... His... Um, uh, his, like weird doctor who character essentially is is how she kind of she like is there to make a bunch of like quips and and make doctor who references in the aragon books and she's here as well and i don't know what the connection is if any but it seems like he's he's intent on there actually being a a a narrative connection isn't I mean, there's no narrative. Like, you, you can have the same character in different books in different universes, right? It's just, I'm using a character again. It doesn't have to be a wiki-type, like, this means the universes are connected situation. I guess so. I guess so. Um, I, I, that's how I read it, but... Um, Pauline doesn't have, like, a Cosmere thing going on here, right? There's not, like, a weird multiverse happening between the Fractalverse and the Aragonverse. Okay, not yet. <laughs> not yet! I, I hear it's really big right now. It is really big right now. Um... Uh, I just learned, I just learned that there is a uh, interactive choose-your-adventure game that is, ba- it's, it looks like it's custom, but it's basically a twine game of hyperlinks. Oh, yes. Uh, called Unity, an interactive Fractalverse story, which is a murder mystery set on that space station she makes where there's meant to be no violence. Um which is sick. That's a genuinely like a perfect sequel. That's exactly what I would want. <laughs> uh, don't know if I'm going to play a Twine game to get it, um, but that's cool. That is the uh, premise I would want to follow up on this. I forgot about this. This is getting published um, like as a book at some point soon. I don't know okay. when, but I've I've read that that is going to be put out um, beyond the website. So that'll that'll be interesting. I I remember seeing that a while back, but I never went through it. But, um, uh, I can only describe this uh, the the design of Unity as like what if the Citadel was Deep Space Nine? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's got it's got like ring. It's it's got a ring, three rings all connected by a cross. Um, and it's kind of overgrown. It's like looks natural because uh, it's like a weird thing she grew. <laughs> yeah. Um, to be the uh, space station. I'm curious how that is because yeah. Uh, I, I found the ending interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know if uh, uh like like I said I don't I don't think it really grasped with the implications of what it set up really as as well as it could have. But I did I did like the turn it took. 
Um, yeah, apparently um, the ending's super controversial. The, the booktubers did not like the part where she became god and gave everyone Gladriel glyphs. Um, he has like talked about how whatever the defining feature is of the fractal verse for him, he has said that it allows him to write almost anything, and so anything that is like super far future, kind of weird uh, sci-fi stuff uh, could be in this world, and I'm interested in seeing that. I would love to see something weird happen after all of this, like, as you said, aliens, halo business. I would be interested in seeing something kind of weird and different out of these, like, ideas. And so I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye on, on the fractal verse and see if anything interesting crops up. I would also, I mean, like, murder mystery on the space station is just uh, inherently cool, good <laughs> it's what i want um i think a lot of this this book is too much uh kind of dull military stuff that's the stuff i'm less mm. interested in uh, i would have much preferred a bigger space mystery i love a space mystery but the mystery was just kind of a couple fetch quests and a lot of war um so it didn't have like the crunchy weird like mystery stuff whereas how is there a murder on the peace space station is like <laughs> oh that, that gets me going i'm like yeah let's go yeah that is the best um, episode of sword art online Shut up! <laughs> it's in every one of these. It's not just sort of online. Why is that your pull? Because I don't know. I was I thought of it. <laughs> um, it is a really good God. episode of Sword Art Online, though. Is it? Yeah. Mm. We got some emails. We do got some emails. Did I send you the emails to see them? Um, someone did in the Discord. Right. That would be my lovely wife. Uh, yes. We've got two. Wait. I can't read. We got four you emails. Can read. Four emails. Everyone loves Paulini's own. Uh. Let's see. I'll take the first one from John. Uh, I'm okay. I'm gonna read this like the audiobook reads the uh, the near scent uh, jelly speak. Oh, okay. How does it? John here. I would like to ask you questions. Will you answer them? Wait, they really every time? Like every yeah, single time? Every time she does like a weird deeper voice. Um. John here. What genre should Paolini's next series of 800-page novels be? Um, um, he should write an 800-page uh, romantic comedy set in the 1980s. In the fractal verse of the 1980s. In the fractal verse. I wanted to just explain how on earth, what makes that the fractal verse that isn't just a book in the 1980s, 200 years before some guy found a beacon in space. The answer to that will be like, somebody will have the same last name as a corporation in the, in the later book. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's I'm saying like the same sort of thing. It's my it's my guess, but I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have a we'll have a Wayland Utani situation. The planet she's from is called Wayland, and I'm like, that's a right. little much. I didn't make that connection until now. You didn't make that connection to you. She says no. Wayland every five seconds. Yeah, but I just thought of it as like a name. I didn't think of it as Wayland Utani. I was like, that's one of. It's like if I called. Like if I went, if I made it, uh, uh, my book and called the planet Halo Two, it's it's like if you went on an expedition to uh, alien ruins and called the planet Bug Hunt or the Sun Bug Hunt <laughs> rather. This is uh, 
this is the second book that we've read that has felt, featured a middle bit that is kind of weaker than the rest of the book, where they go to a bug-killing planet. So true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how this happened twice this fast, but that is correct. Um, John here. In the afterword, Paolini discusses how much he wanted the science in this novel to be plausible, that he was writing to bend but not break the laws of physics. He apparently did quite a bit of research as a result of this goal. What do you make of this commitment? If you could have assigned Paolini a year's worth of research on a different topic to inform the writing of this book, what would it be? Uh, materialism. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> I would like him to do some recent books about why commanders in armies make the orders they do and why wars happen. Um... I guess that's a better answer than I can come up with. I don't know. Because uh, this is... this is what, what this question is really saying is... If you could make Neil Stevenson possess the body of Christopher Paolini for six months... <laughs> what would you have him write? <laughs> uh, um, yes. So yeah. I don't have a better uh, answer than we- that. But what go back to the other question, which is what do we what do we think of the hard the hard sci-fi stuff, which is I'm gonna say like it wasn't that I didn't notice it. Um I got that it was more like they have to go into cryo every time they, they have to go anywhere. So there's like a long time period for any space travel. Um and and so I, I thought that was like fine, uh, but it didn't like blow my socks off. I wasn't like, wow, what a what a logically constructed system. I'm sure it, I'm sure it does all uh, connect under the surface, but I'm I'm also not explicitly and extremely not a magic system guy, and I know this is just uh-huh. applying magic system rules to sci-fi. Uh, these are the same thing on some level. Uh-huh. Um, and um, I, I, I'm like, well done, but I, I, it's just not what I'm focusing on. I'm mostly here for the themes and the characters. It's usually how I approach books. The only time it really came up to me was... Like, the way that the FTL works allows for these um, interlude chapters where she's the only one awake on the spaceship. Um, mm-hmm. And that was interesting, and I liked those beats. But um, I don't, I'm not a person who needs, uh, like, perfect explanations for everything. Uh, if you tell me that you hyper-jumped, I'll be like, okay, you hyper-jumped. <laughs> um but I and it it did not particularly arouse any curiosity in me about the technology being used, other than its function in the narrative um, and I the mean, limitations spe- therein. Mm-hmm. I mean, generally speaking, I do like. It's not that I need hard sci-fi systems, but I do appreciate like consistency in world building, right? Like, I yeah, like when sure. you establish, I don't care how <clears throat> ridiculously wrong the rule is, but I would like if you make a rule to generally stick to it. Um, is uh is my my thing like yeah uh, because like that's how you that's for storytelling like if I know that someone can just do anything on the next page it kind of like uh decreases the story but I'm not so but I know that like that line of thinking is what leads to like three hundred page of magic system descriptions and then I fall asleep at that point uh so <laughs> I, I guess I'm kind of like a, in moderation. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take this one from M? Um, you gotta blend together. 
Jesus Christ. One might say this with the <clears throat> destiny of the seed. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. Um, we're recording that tomorrow. How dare you remind me. This is so much better than Gundam Seed. Paolini is better than Mitsuo Fukuda. Here's a comparison no one's ever made before in history. <laughs> Uh, anyway, you got to blend together three sci-fi stories you like into one single tale. Which three are you picking? And for every specific detail you tell me about each franchise, uh, you can double your good answer points. My answer, The Fountain, biological shop powered by wife energy and meditation, meets 2010 of the year we made contact. Ancient processes to nurture early life into sentience with space machines beyond reckoning meets Intercellar. <laughs> Turns out our space hero was looking for <laughs> is a sniveling coward who immediately tries to kill them. That part of Interstellar is so fucking good. Anyway, do you have any answers here? I've got to take a second to think. Uh, <clears throat> I... Uh, I kind of just... The thing that I was, uh, the, the, the things that I have come across recently that have sparked my interest like this would be things like um, Canticle for Leibowitz, which is like <laughs> a series of vignettes in a world after a big uh, atomic war where certain knowledge has been lost and certain knowledge has been sort of recontextualized. Um, and this is like the the book that inspired things like the Steel Brotherhood and Fallout or the or some other video game, I don't remember now. Um, but this sort of like... Um, oh, it's, it's kind of like the... Uh, Entropis from this book that we didn't talk about at all. Um, this sort of like hype, like viewing c- certain types of technology as magic. I, I, I know that somebody is out there has probably written some kind of pithy saying about this, but um, particularly like culturally, um, I, this is also an aspect that I really enjoyed about Foundation, although it doesn't get a, a very much. Um, Screen time is like the 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 concept of um, the atomic priesthood, sort of. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if I have another pull to like. Uh, I guess just like that com- combined with like what I've been reading that isn't science fiction necessarily um, about like. Um, the structures of uh, human societies in like a pre-agricultural world and how um, different but yet still very human people were you know a hundred thousand years ago Uh, yeah so put that soup into like a coherent thing somebody um, okay, I've got a... I should have thought about this beforehand, really. We had it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we had a week. I looked at it and then I was busy and I kind of forgot, but I've, I've got some, I've got some answers here. Um, the problem is they're kind of like contradictory. I don't know how to like put them into one thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, uh, serial experiments lane of just like online ennui, uh, mm-hmm. of, of being young and disconnected, uh, 
and um, confused in like the internet, uh, mixed with Stalker. Not Rosa Picnic, which I also love, but it's specifically the like people uh, lost searching for like the empty hole within their life um, that they desperately need filled, which is kind of also what Lane's about. But I just want like Stalker for the internet. And then like the third one, I don't know how to like tie, I don't know how to tie this into any, anything. I don't know how to like uh, make this in, into something whole. Um, my brain's like, and then also AI. <laughs> mm. um, and I think that would be like the specific detail about like how the the thing behind the best thing about i mean i don't want to ruin ai for anyone listening um but the best thing about ai is it like presents as an introspective story about personal problems and then reveals just a world wilder than you could ever have thought was out there uh and recontextualizes everything you've ever known um uh, especially the greatest thing that ever happened in the movie. <laughs> but, I, I did not realize at first you were talking about the film AI and not the concept of AI. No, I was talking about AI <laughs> artificial intelligence. I'm like, I want the on. I want like, what if Lane was trying to uh, like do a stalker plot, but then Jude Law was there from AI or something? I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. like a, a formal way. Um, but I do like all those things, uh, and I I always appreciate when a story like is very earnest about the like individual sadness we all have and then places it into like a world context of how small our pain is, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, which is not like AI is a very emotional, uh, movie. Uh, uh, but it does that in a way that's really good. It doesn't like erase the, the stuff that, uh, uh hairdresser was feeling. Um, but it does contextualize it a lot. It's, man, fucking good. Basically, they just turned to a segment about how good AI is. But uh, sorry, that's what happens when I bring it up. But there you go. It's kind of an answer. Every time it comes up on like blockbusters or uh, repertoire screenings, I think I should watch that movie. And then I never do. Uh, we plan to cover it at some point. I think we're going to show up in repertoire on, 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 a, on a stairwells. Um, but uh, we have to at least finish more to movie night first. Uh-huh. So yes. that's a, that's a, that's a while off. So don't, don't look for that. Our next email comes from Embris who asks, how comfortable is the sea of stars to sleep in? Um, probably not very because it's mostly empty space or it's boiling gas. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're sleeping in, but if you're sleeping in a sea of anything, you're in a boat, right? If you're sleeping on the sea, you're sleeping on a boat. Mm. So if you're sleeping in the sea of stars, you're sleeping in a space in a spaceship. So it's probably really comfortable. There's no, yeah, there's nothing. There's so. no gravity. Probably like secured in. I imagine sleeping in space is very comfortable. Um, what is the ideal sea to sleep in? A sea of just vibes. Just vibes. <laughs> Weed. Sea of we- <laughs> sleeping in a sea of weed. <laughs> <laughs> Most importantly, our other genres of speculative fiction open material for this podcast, i.e. how long until Nora makes Jackson read a Dragonlance book. Uh, As arbitrary as these lines sometimes are, we do have a different fantasy book podcast that we are trying to get spun back up. Um, And so I don't want to take away from the goals of this podcast by bringing high fantasy into it. Um, yeah, I mean, like, ultimately, it's just the podcast we do. We could yes. make 
arbitrary changes at any point if we really wanted to. Um, but we don't plan, like, it would have been called something different if we were going to read more, like, just SFF in general. Because um, I yeah. just like like fancy less than you. That's true. <laughs> I'm his real fantasy is. bitch. <laughs> um, at least I think I do. Maybe I'd, I'd really fall for it. Uh, uh, but my my... This is this is this is clearly not true. But my my immediate reaction towards like reading fantasy is, oh, it'll be too similar. It's all all too samey. But then when you know all the sci-fi stuff comes in, there's a fucking military doing space stuff in the exact same way as every one of these. I'm like, wow, it's so varied. So I, I guess I guess that's just me liking sci-fi more than fantasy. Uh, yeah, but yes, it's there's no the trappings. <laughs> but there's no formal rule against it. If we ever if we ever wanted to like veer hard right and do something out of left field um we we could at any point do that but we don't plan to we're just pretending to be a sci-fi podcast there there may be some books um there okay i want to take back one thing i said in that we do have plans currently to read a fantasy series on this podcast but it is you know star wars it's not high fantasy um yeah and so there will be things that kind of blur that line because that line as i said is very arbitrary uh, but I don't. Uh, yeah, we don't have any current plans to like um, radically alter the vibe of the stuff that we are reading. We're not going to read Game of Thrones. Nah, I did that one already. I don't want to. I don't want to go back because if I go not back, gonna... I'll have to actually read the last book instead of skimming through all of the Dorn chapters. So. Oh, yeah. Fuck, man. No, never doing that. God, get out of here. <laughs> It is funny that Dragonlance is the example here, because if you were going to, like, pick a fantasy series to make the complaint of, like, oh, it's going to be too similar, Dragonlance is a really good one, because it is a D&D setting um, that doesn't, like, do anything new, really, with fantasy. It just has its own unique rules about, like, what things are called and stuff like that that it doesn't like have oh eberron is this like um sort of urban fantasy uh situation and has like this whole political intrigue layer it's just fantasy but with more rules uh in a lot of ways um but i guess the i could go more in depth about dragonlands i choose not to and instead jackson why don't you read our last email uh, I will scroll down and see what our last email is. Um, uh, this is from Mel. Uh, do you think space operas could be more operatic? I don't see anyone singing in Star Wars. The answer is, of course, yes. Obviously, yes. They should be singing in Star Wars. They are, actually. There's actually a literal space opera in Revenge of the Sith. It's one of the best scenes in the movie. Some consider to be unnatural. It is fucking Turn great. Left. However, Turn they right. need... <laughs> <laughs> That it, I, I apparently broke a bunch of people's minds when pointing that out in the seat. <laughs> uh, which I assume there's another viral video that's pointed that out again, but like the, he, he just turns his head. It's all he does. He just whoop, and then back again. No motivation, man. Anyway, uh, but yes, they should be more singing in, in, in space operas. There should be more singing in everything. Yeah. Um, in fantasy as well. Any, any genre that's like, if, if your story is about what would you have me do, guys, just generally... If it has that aesthetic, uh, then they can sing songs. Uh, that is generally my feeling on it. I don't. I think it is cowardice to have a "What would you have me do?" guy, but there's no lament for Boromir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I uh, Star Wars is actually a good pull because I do like a lot of the 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 diegetic music of Star Wars. Like there's oh, obviously like, there's um, a yub cantina nub. scene, yub nub. Uh, I like the song from Jabba's Palace, which I know a lot of people. What is the song from Jedi's Palace? Jabba's Palace. Uh, the one with the the um, size noodles with the with the with the lips. She like. Yeah, I know. But which which one? No, There's two songs. That's Do you not mean size... the... the one with the guy who with the uvula? The I know rep- the place. Rep- I'm saying there's two different. They replaced the song. They replaced the song. Yeah, it's the one that's like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Jedi Rock. Yeah, that's not okay. I think that's the new one. I'm fairly yes. sure that's the new one. That's not from the original. It's, that's not from re- 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 the original Return of the Jedi. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, I guess I didn't. I don't know that I remember the original version of that scene. Every time you've gone back and watched Star Wars, you just load it up on Disney Plus, and I'm like, just get one of the fucking original yeah, versions. Yeah, we, we watched the despecialized version at some point, and it was like. It was okay. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't need I any particular version. I'm so enamored with McClunky now. <laughs> McClunky. <laughs> I guess you do want to say McClunky with your wife when you watch Star Wars. <laughs> I guess that's a thing. I, I, why am I? Why am I arguing? It's fucking Star Wars. Like the first thirty minutes of that movie are just about slavery in a way that I'm uh, shocking. It's just like, what's going on here? Yeah. Um. Star Wars, huh? A land of contrast. You said, oh, we have plans to do Star Wars. We do technically have plans, but yes. will will that will that trigger ever be pulled? Will we ever actually read a Star Wars book? Will it ever get to that point? Who can say? Uh, I, I could guarantee that we will read Vector Prime this year. Okay. Well, we've still got eight months for me to prepare to that. <laughs> you think? <laughs> uh, but we're not reading Star Wars this month. No, oh, well, Jackson, what book are we reading? What a what a powerful transition that was! Shut up uh, and tell we, me about this book. <laughs> we will be reading Sphere by Michael Crichton. We will. Le- I was like, I kind of want to do a Michael Crichton book. I want like I've never read one of his books. I know uh, friends enjoyed them uh, mm-hmm. as the like classic airport paperbacks of the eighties uh, and nineties, uh, especially. I guess it's mostly 90s and post-Jurassic Park that he becomes a real, um, you know, uh, those are the real, truly successful ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, But um, I have have never actually read one. I, like, watched Jurassic Park uh, and I thought about reading it and then I was like, do we want to do Jurassic Park? Which one do we want to do? And we settled on Sphere. So please write in your complaints about how we chose the wrong quite a novel (laughs) to do uh, to... not I'm not sorry. Where where what export audio at gmail.com, right? What's export the podcast audio podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Uh, if you're like, oh, you should have done timeline instead, please tell us that. Uh, <laughs> also, time is long. I'm sure we can have another Michael Crichton book on the podcast. Well, if we like it, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. But I want to bounce around to many different eras of, of uh, popular sci fi. Yeah, we got plenty of time. We got plenty of books, you know. That's so true. We're we're sleeping in a sea of books these days. Posting <laughs> in a sea of I'm takes. always saying that. I'm always saying that. Ah, <laughs> uh, sleeping in a sea of weed. So true. Um Well, that is going to do it for this episode of Anomalous Readings. 
Jackson, where can people find you online? You can find me online on headfallsoff on twitter.com and also on cohorts where I don't post. But if Twitter dies, I probably would post. So, yeah. you know. There you go. Um, you can find me at uh, abnormapping.com is where the podcasts I do that aren't this one tend to go. Uh, mostly with M, uh, including some Patreon podcasts at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping, uh, where you can find The Great Gundam Project for $1 a month. Classic podcast that people seem to like. Uh, we're currently in Gundam Seed, which sucks ass. So <laughs> that'll be done in a few, like 10 weeks, and then we can move on. 10 weeks? 10 weeks. That's so many weeks. Well, yeah, look, I'm dealing with it. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at NeitherNora. You can find me on co-host at Ashworm, Ash with an E, Worm with a Y. I do post on co-host sometimes, but mostly just about my D&D game. Uh, or playing Skyrim. I've been playing a lot of Skyrim this week. There uh, is an incredible video uh, on YouTube where Christopher Paolini... Is talking about gaming, and someone asks, how much uh, TV or video games do you play? And he's like, well, I, I, I don't watch that much TV. I only watch a movie every day. Um, <laughs> specifically, okay. he's like, oh, I'll put on a movie or a show with dinner uh, uh-huh. with my family every day. And I'm like, that's just, that's not, that's just watching TV, dude. That's what most people do. That's not a special form of watching TV. That is just generally, oh, in the evening when I've got dinner, I'll put on some TV or mm-hmm. a movie. That's just watching TV. Uh, but anyway, that, that part, whatever. Uh, the part where he's like, uh, and then gaming, I only, I only game for like an hour a day or 20 minutes because if I, if I gained more, I would take over my life. And I'm here to say uh, that you're lying. Chris, you're lying. <laughs> I know you game more than, I, I, I know, I know. You're a gamer. In your soul, you're definitely game. Maybe that was an aspirational thing to say and you would love to not game so much and maybe you'd get a little bit more done, but you are definitely gaming. If you're listening, I know you're a gamer and that's okay. I'm a gamer too, but you're gaming. <laughs> Batman is gaming. He was like, oh, that's why I play Skyrim and not World of Warcraft. Because I played World of Warcraft, it would ruin my life. Um, and I'm uh, like, oh, Skyrim is a he's better game than Skyrim. World of Warcraft. Skyrim is a better game than World of Warcraft. He's having a way better time. Um, uh, you can find me on other podcasts, including all of the export audio podcasts. That's not, that's not true, but you can find me on many export audio podcasts at patreon.com slash export audio or exportodd.io If you want to save on some keystrokes, yeah. um, right now and... we're doing pardon my franchise. We're in our Shrek era. We're watching the Shrek movies. Um, after this, we'll probably watch Conan the Barbarian verse, uh, movies, um, uh, I'm also on Journal Updated, which you can find at thesecondbestgame.club. It is a podcast where Molly and I play video games every month, and this month we're playing Metal Gear Solid, which yeah. I'm excited about. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's it for me. And so, well, there's one more thing on your one more thing on your Patreon that we have to kind of announce, which oh, is right. we don't have yes. a schedule for it, this, uh, but we do plan to do uh, some um, uh, Patreon episodes for this podcast, which are specifically, we'll do some movies that are tangentially related to the books. Uh, that does not mean that we are confirmed to be watching Sphere. I've already <laughs> seen Sphere. I remember being kind of boring as a, as a, as a, as a movie. Um, so unless someone's like, oh, we got to watch Sphere, I don't think, it's not going to be like a, every month there's one. Uh, but for this one, at some point in, the ne- in, an, in between the next two episodes, uh, we will probably be watching and talking about Prometheus. So check on the Expo Audio Patreon uh, for that one. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that does it for another episode of Anomalous Readings. Thank you, as always, for joining us on our uh, journeys through the stars, discovering uh, you know new civilizations, etc., etc. Um, keep watching the skies. So true. That's so true. <gasps>